0: Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to the first ever, first ever postseason edition of Swings and Mishes. This is our first ever episode with the Marlins in the postseason. It's here in 2020. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché. Happy to be joined by Craig Mish on a, a on a really exciting day to be covering the Marlins. Craig, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great, and I, I just it's it's hard to believe that we sit here. You know, less than basically a day away from the Marlins making their first postseason appearance since 2003, and so uh, I can I can definitely understand that people who listen to this podcast and are really big diehard fans of the Marlins, this is your time. You know, this is all uh, you know deser- well deserved for the team, no question. But I, I want to be the one to congratulate the fans because there are a lot of you out there who have really stuck through this thing, and I don't think that gets mentioned nearly enough. And we have spent a lot of congr- a lot of time congratulating the team and saying good job and congratulating all these guys of what they have done. But uh, inevitably, it's going to require fans to make this whole thing come full circle in Miami. And social media is one thing, and I get it. And people are liking and retweeting and saying great. And, and those are all great things. But the Marlins need fans to go to games. And for those of you who have really stuck this thing out for all of these years, it's really, it's really special for you. And for me in particular, it's interesting that people are, like, congratulating me as if I had something, you know, involved with this or (laughs) do anything. Look, I've made made it very clear, the better the Marlins play, and as well as they do, it has to help me. It has to help you, Jeremy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it helps us here doing what we do for them to be better. So this is what we want. We have a vested interest in this. But at the same time, we are going to always call it fairly. We always Mm -hmm. are going to be objective with things. Uh, while I can be a cheerleader at times at different points, yes, I will say that that is true. There are some things that I have pulled for. Uh, I am not employed by the team, and I am self-employed, and Swings and misses is its own entity, and I'm very proud of that. And so that gives me the ability to be objective and be fair, and I think that I am for the most part. And in covering the team as long as I have, and we're talking about on and off since, 2000 maybe maybe 1999 mm. I mean I'm trying to think uh, you know as as a young <laughs> as a young kid going to college coming back and going to different Marlins games uh, going with my friends as fans and, and and sitting upstairs a lot of fans 97 going through that and you know the fir- the first inkling that I that I got that I knew that this is what I wanted to do and and make no mistake about it the last 20 years, I haven't been as consistent covering the team as I have for the past few, mm-hmm. maybe the past five, ten. But I've always been around, and I and I think that you know Mike Hill, Mike Hill would tell you that. I've known Mike for uh, for a long time. A lot of the people in the organization I've known for a long time. But there was there was a breakfast back in I want to say it was. I'm gonna guess Jeremy was in 2000. That far back, I'm gonna say it was the year 2000. It may have been 2001. One of the two. And I was covering the, the spring training I spent overnight in Vieira, Florida, which is around the Melbourne area. That's where they used to train. And and at that time, I was covering basically all teams in baseball. I lived on the west coast of Florida, and I used to cover the Pirates and cover spring training with, uh, at the time, I believe it was the Reds that were in Sarasota as well. And so I was developing relationships, and, and I knew the people in the Marlins organization, but clearly not as well as I did now. But there was a breakfast back then. And I sat down, and I remember going to breakfast with Cliff Floyd at the time. And Cliff was very young, and uh, and I was doing a, a TV show, or getting ready to do a TV show at the time. And I'll never forget just sitting down with him and not being close with Cliff at the time like I am now. And he and I are uh, as good as friends as they could be, and I run his uh, charity foundation for many years, too. But I remember sitting down with him and saying... You know, I think I think this is something I'd like to do. I'd I'd like to sort of be around the team more. And this is back in two thousand, whatever. And, and and he said, well, look, you know, as long as you are fair, and you can rip me, you could say I stink, and and I hope that you'll say that I'm great when I'm great. But as long as you are fair you're going to have a long career doing this in this industry. You're going to be around for a long time on radio and TV. Cause that's all the players want. That's all the coaches mm. want. That's all the executives want. They want to know that you're going to be fair. And here we are all these years later. Hmm. And it uh, it's just a story that I'll never forget. That's when it kind of hit me that, wow, like if this player is going to trust me and he doesn't even really know me, he's just asking me to be fair That's kind of how it started, honestly, like thinking about it back then. And 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 so and and here we are today. And I feel like through that, I've learned so much. I've I've been probably in and out of that clubhouse uh, as it stands right now in terms of being there longer than anyone. I think with Clark Spencer retiring, I, I mean, I was in the clubhouse in ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand. Not not all the time, and I don't want to say I was a beat guy back then, because I and even sure. now I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily a beat guy. I'm not there every game. I have the ability to go and come as I please. I have other jobs, mm-hmm. but I, I think that it is somewhat rewarding for me because I have seen what this organization has gone through. For such a long time. And there's so many names that we're forgetting along the way. It's like I, I what I need to do is <laughs> I need to sit down with Mike Hill at some point after this is all over and go through all of the names that I have forgotten uh, of people mm-hmm. who are in the organization and players and you know, just just to get to this point. It takes nothing away from the, the organization, and what they've accomplished this year, because I think it's pretty clear at this stage, they're headed in the right direction. And if Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter don't buy this team, I don't know where they are, honestly. Like, it would be an unmitigated yeah. disaster. But beyond that, there's still people in that organization, think about that, Jeremy, who have been there for 10 years and have been there right. for 12 years. And and they've sat through a lot of garbage. And <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'd love to go through those names. And I, and I don't have them all, and I don't know them all, but there are some names of people— that have been there for so long and have had to go through this for so long, and they can now see light at the end of the tunnel. And like I see it doing this podcast, they see it as an employee of the Marlins. And so for those people who may be organizational people who have been there for a long time, this is for you. You know, this this mm-hmm. one is for you because you you had I, – I and you know who you are if you're listening – You've had to sit through this for a long time, waiting, hoping, hearing story after story how it's going to turn and the team is going to be good and there's going to be some confidence and things are going to change. And you can feel that way now. So those people don't get mentioned that often. I thought we'd start off with that.
0: Yeah, I I would thank you for, for doing so, because I think that all of those folks need to be mentioned. And you know what? Particularly in, in this time, in this time of COVID, for that matter, where it has been a bit of a... A downer, we'll say, of the of the last six months, which is the understatement of the century, um, and to have this sort of bright light for Marlins fans in what it has been, and for whatever it can be in your life as a Marlins fan, it's been, you know, a, as someone who grew up a Marlins fan and now covers the team, um, you know, that's that's witnessed a lot of this. I I feel very grateful as well, and I'm I'm grateful for the pure fans of this team that did stick around through the ups and downs and mostly downs right and so now to be here entering the playoffs it's 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 a uh, it's a real blessing for those folks yeah and and sure.
1: look there there are I've, I've talked to some people in the marlins organization about this that they, there are just some people that are not going to come back like there are some i mean there yeah. are some that have just been through this too much that no matter what they are told they are out because of what's happened in the past. And and you have to respect that. You have to understand that. And they're, and the Marlins are not going to get all those people back at once. It's going to happen slowly.
0: but yep, little by little.
1: But if you don't see what's going on right now, you're missing something really good. Like, it, it really, it does have the feel of something building. It does. and mm-hmm. And look, last year at this time, I wasn't really sure. I mean, the team just went in a complete free-for-all this year this time last year they were firing coaches again you know you you didn't know who was going to be back and we didn't know if Don Mattingly was going to be the manager at this time I did not think Don Mattingly was going to be the manager let me just say that I did not think Don Mattingly would be back for for another year and thank goodness uh, that I was wrong about that because he's the manager of the year I think in, in the National League this year so all the right people are being Are all the right people are being mentioned and thanked? And I know Derek Jeter has thanked everybody involved in the organization. I think he actually mentioned Stan Meek's name the other day, too, on the TV broadcast. Stan has been part of this organization for a long time, too. But for me, this is not about thanking. It's just acknowledging. And certainly I would love to mention a few names here of people that I know have been in the organization. But then immediately people will think that these are people that are helping (laughs) me get some sort of information. So I'm not going to name them. Which they don't, but either way, uh, you know who you are, and and you, you sat through a lot of crap for the last 20 years, and and I'm glad for you that you, you stuck it out, and I'm and again I'm glad for the fans as well. So now we can move on to uh, the the postseason here, which begins on Wednesday,
0: right? And let's get right into that, right? Let's let's do it with the postseason starting Wednesday. You actually reported yesterday that Sandy Alcantara. Uh, will get the ball in Game 1 for the Miami Marlins. Uh, we don't know as of the time of recording this podcast who will start Games 2 and 3. Um, But Sandy Alcantara goes Game 1. He was the opening day starter for the Marlins in 2020. He has come back and, and been on top of his game, especially as of late for the Marlins. He's the ace. He gets the ball. Craig, what are your thoughts about Sandy getting the ball?
1: I think that, is that Sandy... I I think Sandy can dominate any lineup right now. And and I think that we've seen that it's evident. And for the comments that he made last week, I I thought completely changed Sandy into a man and a leader on this team. And I, and and I'm glad that that was acknowledged at least a little bit. And he not only had those comments, but he went out and stuck it to the Yankees. Like the Yankees could have Mm -hmm. basically played his audio in that clubhouse and posted that audio somewhere and said look at what this guy's saying and they couldn't do a thing about it. And I think very very big things are headed Sandy's way. But guess what? I've always thought very big things are <laughs> are headed Sandy's way. We're going on 3 That's years true. of me saying this. It it just was a, it was just getting more mature, understanding who he is. And and I know that the manager has said being aggressive, trusting his own stuff, but but I I knew Sandy <laughs> I knew Sandy when he was a young kid with the Cardinals. Yeah. I, I, when, I mean, this is nuts. So so Sandy, when he started off with the Cardinals, again, this is at Roger Dean Stadium, remember, right? So I'm right there. And, mm-hmm. and back in the day at Roger Dean Stadium, which, was, which is now Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, the phenomenal thing about that place that they destroyed, which was the <laughs> ability for us to just go back and forth between the two facilities. Yep. I yeah. mean, I, and I understand that there's new rules and regulations, and, and, and they want to, you know, have the certification of being secure, more More so, I think, on the Cardinal side than the Marlins. And you know what? Well, who am I to complain about that? If that's what they want, that's fine. But back sure. then, when we're talking years ago, we're talking about, like, maybe Ichiro years, Jose years. Like, back mm. then, Sandy was this young—so uh, somebody told me, you got to meet Sandy, you got to talk to Sandy, he's going to be good, and— and, uh, you know, got to get to know him a little bit. You know, I get these little notes. Okay, he throws real hard. He's going to be a star in the big leagues. And so I was told this about Juan Soto, too. So I, I went sure. I went to meet Juan Soto before he came up, too. On, and I have a video of that I posted on Twitter many years ago as mm-hmm. well. But when I get a tip like this, I'm like, okay, like – I got to make the extra effort to do this. So because of my relationship with the Cardinals, I feel like I have a really good relationship with them. I was always able to go over there and do interviews and do some for my radio show and, and, and other ventures that I had involved. And one day uh, I see Sandy. Sandy speaks no English whatsoever. But that's why I'm mm-hmm. so floored with how well he speaks. I mean, he spoke no English whatsoever. His uh, To me, and I hope Sandy doesn't get mad at saying this, but he basically had a translator. It was Carlos Martinez. So, mm. car- so he would. He and Carlos Martín. I guess Carlos kind of took him under his wing at the time, and they used to leave together in the same car every single day. Uh, I, I guess Carlos would take Sandy to the hotel. Maybe they lived together. I don't even recall. But right. I could barely communicate with Sandy. So I'm, I'm being told you got to meet him. You got to get to know him. He's going to be a star. Okay, okay, okay. I'm saying to myself, how am, how am I ever gonna, how am I ever gonna get to know? Sandy Well. So through so through the years we start communicating a little bit a little bit more and then of course he gets traded uh to Miami and I remember talking to him at that time and and him basically saying that wow like the opportunity that sits in front of me right now is is something that he didn't know that he would have in St. Louis. Remember the Cardinals and their organization right. a few years ago had these pitchers just one Love after it. the other and I mean they trade they since have traded some and moved some but they had Luke Weaver and 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 all these uh, young pitchers it was really hard to to break through now it's a little bit different Sandy may be their second best or maybe even yeah. their, their best pitcher at the moment but and I just remember just you know the, the communication with with he and I was just so was so difficult because of the English Spanish barrier and I was so impressed when he came back not after that. It was great when he got traded to Miami. I was certainly happy about that. But when he came back after, maybe it was uh, an off season ago, and sure. I remember talking to him in the clubhouse, and and hearing him and and him waving away somebody. I think at the time it may have been John Eric Alvarez or, or Louis. I don't remember. I remember who. this. And he yeah. waved and and he's like, no, I want to do it in English. And you know what? And. And afterwards, I told him, "I'm like you. You know, you can do this. I mean, you really can. You, you, I mean, and 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 he and he, his confidence. Oh, you know, basically, there's nothing I can't do. And he's right.
0: It's amazing. And, and
1: he has and and all this stuff is away from pitching that probably nobody else knows. But to me, that is the story here. He's grown up. We all grow up in life. Some people grow up later on. Some people grow up early on. Some people have to grow up early on. Some people don't grow up at all. But his timeline." for becoming a man to me is not a coincidence for how he's also pitching on the mound and I think that this is a huge reward for him and regardless of what happens against the Cubs on Wednesday I I think that he is without question an ace I've never asked Sandy this and he would never comment on this but I gotta tell you I bet you that the competition, the competitive nature in him, got burned a little bit seeing Sixto pitch as well as he did. I got it. Absolutely. I I, I don't know this for fact, and 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 I'm this is a guess on my part, but I, I would imagine he had to think. I mean, I'm the all star. I'm the ace here. Right. You know, it's like, and yeah, it's great. Sixto's pitching fantastic, but you know, don't forget about me here for a minute. Uh huh. And here we are, game one. They're giving the ball to him. So, uh, certainly, I, I think that he's at an advantage over anyone they throw. Look, if you Darvish pitches game one, I'm not going to disrespect you Darvish. <laughs> uh, Kyle Hendricks has been awesome. People are going to look at his numbers this year. I mean, I follow this all year. People are going to look at Kyle Hendricks and Yu Darvish's numbers and go, whoa, we did not think that those guys were that yeah. good. They have been as good or better than any Marlins pitchers. Those two guys have mm-hmm. as well. They may not have a great third guy, but... Their first two have, but Sandy matches up very well I think with the Cubs He's going to get the ball in game one so certainly congratulations to him and congratulations to uh to Sandy on really I, I think growing up and and getting to that next level I'm also curious to see and we'll leave this for another time because I don't want I don't I don't want to go into contracts and things like that mm-hmm. but it would be interesting for me to see also if the Marlins would consider extending him. And, and mm. he's not in the same position that Brian Anderson is in where all of a sudden they got to really figure out what to do with Anderson. A couple yeah. of years, he'd be gone. Sandy still has a long way to go with that. But if they did feel that he was worthy of it, it's certainly, to me, I'm waiting for that extension. You know, I'm waiting for that statement sure. by the Marlins organization that uh, we are going to, we're going to trade draft and keep and develop our own guys. And there, and at some point you'd like to see that happen, whether it's Anderson or Sandy, or maybe even somewhere else. So that's where we stand for game one.
0: Yeah, and, and whether it's it's Pablo game two or, or Sixto game two, you know, storylines abound with, with these pitchers no matter what. The irony of if you end up with a rookie Sixto Sanchez in a game three matching up with John Lester, who... I believe of all active pitchers has more post-season innings than anybody else. He's got like a 2-5 ERA in the playoffs, so experience versus inexperience would be really cool to track as well. Are there other things that you're looking at in this game one, other things to think about in this series? You know, I, we haven't talked much about it, but Edward Cabrera is on the Marlins sort of taxi squad here as they head to the postseason. Anything to watch it in that sort of light in this series?
1: It's the question I've asked every day for like a couple of weeks, and... He's he's still throwing bullpens. I think he's an option for the postseason, but as of us doing this, I don't know that he's activated for the Cubs series. From what mm. I from what I'm told and, and I think that I think Derek Jeter spoke about this on on the media call, is that what the Marlins wanted to do is just have the guys around because I think Derek went through that as a player, a young player, just kind of seeing what the atmosphere was in the postseason. It may be more about that for Edward than it is for actually pitching in a game, but I, I think he, uh, Edward could certainly play a factor if they go past this first round in chicago. Sure. The, the other thing that that I think is to me is a foregone conclusion at this point and I can't get anybody to disagree with me at this point is Chad Wallach has got to be the Marlins catcher in game one. Uh, you I know you get to the po- you get to the postseason and this is all about pitching at this point now, right? Like the best pitching is going the deepest, right starting right now. The games get tighter. They're usually a lot less scoring in those games too. The pressure is on, and it is it is the most unexpected, more unexpected than Lewis Brinson becoming who he has been is Chad Wallach becoming yep. who he has been. I I, I have yep. to say that I didn't see the Brinson thing coming. No one couldn't possibly say they saw Chad Wallach becoming a viable player. No, there is just not a there's not a chance. And anybody who who does it's they're full of it there's no way <laughs> I, I mean Chad is was on the the bubble of being cut released let go like five, like this guy survived so many different times cuts and things of that he couldn't hit at all I mean literally at all. at all for two years I think I I went to a game I think he struck out four or five times straight and now all of a sudden what has happened with Chad Wallach he's hitting? And when he catches the other team doesn't score like they, they just don't score. (laughs) Uh, And, and I I don't know why I can't figure it out. Teams. He must, he must really be a phenomenal defensive catcher. I've heard that he was Mm -hmm. always good. And I know that he made a couple of really strong athletic plays last year. Brian holiday used to tell me that Chad was a really good defensive catcher as well, but the way that he's going right now, and and I understand that offense is going to be at a premium, and and look, Jorge Alfaro certainly has had his moments, and, and maybe he gets the call in Game 2 or if there's a Game 3, but going out in Game 1, I think you have to go with the lineup that got you here over the last week, and I think Chad Wallach is going to catch Sandy on Wednesday. Yeah. I, I don't see it any other way at this point.
0: I think the way that Wallach calls a game, and these are obviously specific nuances that you know, even you and I watching every single game can only pick up so much without being directly in the clubhouse sitting next to Wallach as he game plans. But the confidence in each pitch, and and this is the big thing you notice if you look at the last number of starts, and it was something I was tracking over the last couple of weeks as we saw Wallach and Alfaro sort of mix back and forth. You notice that especially with starting pitchers, I very rarely have seen, and specifically in Sandy and Pablo's performances that were huge, the last, that was on Thursday and Friday, right, to help clinch, almost never were they shaking off Chad Wallach. And the difference between his approach behind the plate that I guess is bringing them some sort of level of confidence back there, and that's not to say, by the way, that if Jorge Alfaro doesn't catch game one, or does catch game one, that he couldn't be terrific defensively. He has a rocket behind the plate. That could end up mattering. But with that approach behind the plate, both Pablo and Sandy looked particularly comfortable. And you know what? That's the key to this series. It's your starting pitchers. We've said it from the beginning of the year. If the Marlins were going to get to the postseason, it's because of the starting pitchers. And if they're going to advance in the postseason, it will be because of their starting pitchers.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that as you compare the two teams, there there are actually some similarities between the Marlins and Cubs. Like the Cubs are are kind of that true outcome type team. Mm-hmm. Uh if if I a batting average is not the the indicator anymore like it used to be when I grew up in the 80s and 90s in terms of a team being good but there isn't a player on the Cubs that plays every day that's hitting 270 not it's one crazy not one
0: not one not, no, one. not one and
1: Jason Hayward is it hit 265 and he's the high guy there everyone it's else crazy. 240 250 180 too 200. I mean they don't hit for average but they get on base they're always mm-hmm. on base. They're wa- they walk like crazy. So it's that dynamic for, for this pitching staff of the Marlins to throw strikes but also not be as predictable because I think that with Sixto Sanchez in particular, who I would expect either to pitch game two or game three, although I believe game three is is more likely at this point. I mean, they Mm -hmm. may not even announce until they they get through game one. That's possible, too. Uh, Sixto has become either very predictable or he's tipping his pitches. It's it's just one way or the other. So whatever he's got to do has to be changed pretty quickly because everyone is just assuming and I had a talk with somebody today who called me for like a scouting report on on the Marlins, and I'm like, you know, just got, go, going over <laughs> what has happened in the media, by the way, in the media. Yeah. And and I and I said the one thing that I could tell you is like I know what I, Sandy Alcantara, and this is a scouting report. Sandy Alcantara probably can go the whole game. He probably can mm-hmm. pitch the entire game. He could probably give up one run, maybe two, strike out seven or eight, and you feel completely confident in him. Pablo Lopez, if he pitches game two, he's coming out after the fifth or sixth. They're just not going to let him go past three, th- th- third time right. through the lineup, he is not that guy. But he is going to give you a great five or six innings almost every time out. Correct. And then the third thing I said is don't be fooled by Sixto Sanchez. The answer like, what do you mean? He's great. I'm like, well, have you watched his last two starts? All I'm saying right. is he may be a star. He may be a superstar. But the postseason is now. And this is a right. what have you done for me lately business. And what has Sixto Sanchez done for me lately? Nothing. So right. you you can't tell me that just based on his stats for the season, that he is going to go out and throw eight shutout innings and dominate the Cubs. How, he may, but how can I say that? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case. So my point was don't be fooled into thinking that just because the stats say what they are, take a look at what the last seven, 10 days are for every major league mm-hmm. baseball player. It's a game of streaks. This is where we're at. And from a consistency standpoint, you, you pretty much know Sandy every time. You pretty and Pablo had his moments there where he was a little shaky there for about two or three starts, but it seems like he's, he's back again. But for me, it is Sandy in Game 1. It is Pablo in Game 2. I think even if the Marlins win Game 1, I, I don't know why they would take a chance like that in Game 2. I agree. Um, you know, Sixto may be fantastic, and we'll look back on this and say, wow, he really figured it out, but until I see that, I, I would I would like to not just punt game two and and take a shot there because if you Darvish is because if they go Hendricks, Darvish and then I guess they would go uh, Lester or, or maybe Mills. I, I don't know. I mean yeah it's, it's, it's gonna be one or the other. they'll, they'll, they'll back uh, one guy with the other. Um, you know so I uh, look they, they have some other options there. the Cubs also just for informational purposes, you're gonna you're gonna wonder about some things with them. One other thing that's been really good for them. Is they found a closer, Jeremy hmm. Jeffers, who was basically left for you know what in the offseason. <laughs> Nobody wanted him. He's been amazing for them. And Craig Kimbrell is no longer their closer there. So Which I'm not is wild. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what, what they would eat, what kind of maybe they'd use him in the seventh or the eighth, or I'm not real. I'm not positive what they would do there. But they do have a guy in the ninth there in Jeffers. Now, it's not to say the Marlins couldn't get to him. He does walk guys, he walks a lot of guys. But He's he's really saved them to a degree because if Jeffers if the if the Phillies for example had the foresight to pick up Jeffers they'd be in a much different position uh, than them. But he's he's been really good for them. So uh, look, uh, the way that the Cubs are run, we talked about the Marlins a lot. Uh, I'm a big Theo Epstein fan. He's always been very kind to me. He's come on my shows, done things with me before. Uh, is a fantasy guy too? Fantasy football guy used to play fantasy baseball back in the day as well. I got a lot of respect for him and what he's done. David Ross has done a good job. Remember, the, the Marlins have had a phenomenal story this year. The Cubs in Chicago, along with the White Sox, I mean, the Cubs are, are were not expected to do this this year. No one had this. Yes. So let's let's tip our cap a little bit to them too and understand that this is a formidable opponent. Do I think the Marlins can win? Absolutely. Uh, are they a huge underdog in the series? No question, but. This is about the hot team. Marlins played well this weekend, and I certainly give them a great shot to win the series.
0: And when you do look at the, those matchups that you mentioned, I think maybe the most interesting part is you mentioned Hendricks and Darvish, and, and those are two of the biggest strike throwers in the strike zone in the league. The Marlins' detriment on offense a lot of times was chasing stuff outside of the strike zone, right? They were 25th in chase rate this year as as an offense. And so when the Marlins are productive, it's because they're swinging at strikes as opposed to swinging at stuff outside the strike zone. Well, what's interesting is these pitchers technically both pitch to their strength. They don't throw a lot of pitches outside the strike zone, but both of those pitchers are so nasty— and are so effective inside the strike zone, especially with a guy like Hendricks with the way that the Marlins do swing at pitches. He's the type of guy who could throw a complete game on 75 pitches against an offense like the Marlins. So that's an interesting sort of, I don't want to say strength on strength matchup, but the biggest weakness for the Marlins is stringing outside the, swinging outside the zone. Now we'll see what they're really like when they get pitches in inside the zone and what their offense can really do.
1: Yeah, and and I also want to mention that it will come up you'll see some stats about Yu Darvish facing the Marlins and the Marlins have dominated Yu Darvish through the years. It was it was a completely different team. So yeah, let, let's not get time. let's not get caught up in those games that featured Yelich and Stanton and Ozuna and those guys. There was there was a point where, if you remember, they thought that Darvish was tipping pitches, and and the Marlins mm-hmm. said no or whatever. I, I don't. I, they've beat him up. They have beat him <laughs> up. But but it was a completely different team. That's not to say they won't go out there and beat him up again. But you, you throw those stats out because you it was a different day now with him. And by the way, Darvish has been a different pitcher this year. And when oh, yeah. when you Darvish first came up, he looked unhittable. Then he lost his way there for a couple of years, couldn't find the strike zone. But this year he is, I mean, he's probably not going to win the Cy Young Award. I think Bauer is going to end up winning it, but you Darvish may finish second or third. He's been, he's been absolutely fantastic. So just want to make sure we cover both sides of this going into the series. And, and I, and I know that it's, it's sort of strange for a lot of people because you're getting ready to see a team, both the Marlins on the field and us on television, that we I mean I watch every day so it's it's not it's not different for me but it's gonna be very different for those of you because you haven't, you haven't probably haven't watched the Cubs play all year and you didn't see right. the Marlins play the Cubs this year. So, so you're like, wait who's that? Oh oh Ian Happy's good again. Oh when did that happen? you know it's like so the, those are those are some of the things that you're gonna find that are really interesting. But I, I do think that there are a lot of similarities here. They have two, two strong mm-hmm. pitchers at the top, like the Marlins, I think have, a, you know, two strong pitchers at the top. Uh, the Marlins offense does make a lot of contact, but you know, they, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, maybe, maybe there are some differences here because the Cubs are just doing <laughs> it all with the long ball and the Marlins are doing yeah. it all with a small ball. So maybe, maybe it's not the best comparison in terms of offenses, but, but, uh, but the batting averages certainly are staggering for the Cubs. That's one thing that, one thing that
0: caught me last week when I was when I was looking at it yeah doing a little bit of prep on 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 the Cubs if you look at the Cubs roster you will remember these names this core that that was there for the 2016 World Series it's that same core it's just that all of those guys are hitting right around the Mendoza line this year Javi Baez hit 203 and so it's it's can you uh look at that as small sample size theater of 60 games and now it's the postseason and throw all that out the window. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at these players as those same guys and that tough lineup. But what is funny, you, you also do a little research and you see the run differential of these two teams, right? The Marlins who finished two games over 500, they were minus 41. But if you followed every game, you know that that's a little bit of an aberration with a 29 to9 loss and an 11-nothing loss. And you got the Cubs who are plus 25 right? They were eight games over 500. They're plus 25. But again, like you just mentioned, they only played teams in the Central. And in the NL Central, you got the worst team in baseball in the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they beat up the Pittsburgh Pirates. So is that run differential almost uh, fake as well in some ways to where they're actually a little closer to the mean of zero as well? So that's what's kind of fun about this strange intra-division schedule this year is Nobody really knows. There are four NL Central teams that are going to the playoffs this year. But since they all played the Pirates, were all of their records just a bit inflated? Who knows? And that's what we get to find out here. So as we do wrap up this episode and we do sort of look at the last little uh, knickknacks of, of this matchup, are there any things to focus on other than, you know, somehow Ian Happ leading the Cubs in home runs and OPS, the same guy that hit that leadoff homer against Urania a couple years ago?
1: Uh, no, but but a guy that was on the Marlins at that time. Uh, interestingly enough, in twenty eighteen, is a guy that I wonder if he's providing some extra scouting on, uh, and, and he doesn't have a lot, but providing a little bit on uh, Sandy and maybe Pablo is Cameron Mabin is on right. the Cubs, so Mabin does have a little familiarity with with some of the Marlins, not a lot, but does have some. When he was with the Marlins in 2018, he did play a lot. Remember, in the first half of the season, and then they ended up moving him. Uh, mm-hmm. But he uh, he did end up playing. He knows who Miguel Rojas is, and you know certainly he knows who Garrett Cooper is and Chad Wallach. He played with those guys. He uh, you know also ended up seeing, I, I believe, a little bit of Pablo Lopez and a little bit of Sandy. So right. I don't know how much he can add to that equation, but I'm curious, you know, it makes me curious yeah. to, to know if, if he can, because Mabin is a pro and he's been around for a long time. And at least from all accounts, he was one of the veterans on the, on the Marlins at that time in 2018. So I'm not trying to say that he can decipher the riddle on any of Miami's pitchers. But again, you're looking at basically all video and advanced scouting right now. You have nothing else to go on. They have not played each other this year. And any edge uh, has to be uncovered and looked at. So maybe the Cubs feel like they have one with that. I don't really think so. But it's just worth mentioning going into the series.
0: Yeah, and sure hope that maybe Jesus Aguiar can do the same thing on the opposite side with Hendricks and Lester, right? As a guy who played in Milwaukee. Sure. So, you know, you can hope there's some trading of knowledge. And, and these two teams, man, they're in ways even though like you mentioned with the Cubs they they this season in particular have lived and died by the long ball. These are a bunch of old school type of players when you look at Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo and like it's that type of baseball that you remember from the 2003 matchup between these two teams. You know, a couple aces off the top. It it's going to be fun to watch. Um for those of you who are listening to this episode, we have some very uh special coverage that will go on this week. Um, After every game the Marlins play in this round, we will have a live post-game show. A live post-game show streaming on Twitter and Periscope. So if you follow us on Twitter, at Swings and Mishes, as soon as we go live, that will show up on your timeline. Just keep refreshing our page after the game, and we will definitely keep you guys posted as we set things up right after the game. Um, That will also be on Periscope, so if you'd like to follow us there, same deal at Swings and misses on Periscope. Craig, are there any notes about that live stream that you would like to add?
1: Yeah, very easy to watch just from your phone or from your tablet or your laptop. You'll just be simply clicking a link. You can ask questions. You can comment. The shows will be quick. They'll probably be 20, 30 minutes apiece after every game is over. We are expected to have guests. Potentially, if the Marlins win, we will uh, hope that that ends up happening but certainly they'll have a lot of commitments to do but that is the goal at this point to bring on uh, players from this when it is over we'll also have other guests weighing in on on what's happening in these games as well so look this is something new we're gonna try it and 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 kind of and see how it goes it's not something we've ever done before but I, i feel like if there was ever a time to do something like this it is now so it'll probably be not immediately after the game is over but perhaps after the manager ends up speaking, and Don Mattingly, and then we'll go live immediately after that point because I think that we're all going to want to hear what he has to say after the game and the post game. But once that's over, uh, anything I will tell you this: if you want a fair account and an objective account of the game, yep, this will be the show for you. This this will that is that is what what I think you will want to see or hear if the team wins or the team loses, you will want to, to comment on it. You will want to watch it and it will be covered fairly and objectively. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's the kind of post game show that I want to hear. I want, I want to be able to, to talk about some of the good things (laughs) and some of the bad things. And so that to me, we are, we are going to do that on Tuesday and on Wednesday and maybe on Thursday, depending on what happens. And as far as this thing goes, I guess we're committed to doing this. So that's what we're going to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I trust me, I'm looking forward to it as a, as a kid who watched the Marlins win a World Series in 2003 as a 8-year-old. Uh, I dreamed of moments like this, so this is going to be pretty fun to do, Craig, and I look forward to this show. Um, we will obviously keep you guys posted, uh, tweeting out links, keep making sure that you're covered uh, and understand when that's going to be out there. Uh, Bear with us. This is the first time through, but I think it should go pretty smooth and be pretty fun, so we look forward to the guests that will join us. Craig, I look forward to doing it with you, and uh, for those of you who are getting ready for your first ever, uh, there are some of you who listen to this, who this is the first time you're ever watching the Marlins in the postseason, so I hope you enjoy the heck out of it. On Wednesday at 2 o'clock, we will be there right alongside you and looking forward to having you guys join us on our post-game show after Wednesday's Wild Card Game 1.